Good morning. As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Uh, just a little bit of a setup for today. Um, as Jack mentioned at the top of the service, this year we're going to look at an epiphany service. Uh, this is basically Jesus being revealed, uh, not just as a child born to us, but as a king who has come to rescue us. And typically on this day, um, the church often looks to Jesus' baptism uh, to a text to preach from. So that's what I'm preaching from today. Uh, for those of you who keep up with these kind of things, next week we'll go back to Acts. Uh, we're going to go through Acts through February um, and then head back into the Old Testament. So uh, get ready for Acts next week. All right, how was your Christmas? Good New Year's. Everybody's ready for another year. Uh, I had a, my family and I had a great uh, Christmas and a wonderful New Year. And in between the two, between Christmas and New Year's, I had the privilege of going to North Carolina and speaking at a conference for 150 teenagers. It was, uh, it, was, it was an experience. And again, although I've truly loved 10 years of being a youth pastor, my first 10 years in the ministry, absolutely loved it. Uh, I got to tell you, truthfully, uh, being 47, I think I am 48, I can't remember, somewhere in there. Um, teenagers, they scare me. Do they scare you? I mean, 150 of them all in one room. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Uh, how in the world do you relate to teenagers today? It seems like there's like three species, male, female, teenager, right? It's just incredible. Um, but God's spirit came, and I got to tell you, one of the most the joyous things was singing with them. If you ever get a chance to sing with 150 young people, do it, because there's something amazingly special about it. But when you hang out with teenagers, uh, the best thing to do is to kind of remember those years. And for many of us, we try to block those out, right? Uh, we try to think uh, those were the awkward years. Those are years we don't necessarily want to remember, maybe because we weren't living for the Lord or, or maybe just because we had several years of awkward years. I don't know. But there's something very healthy to go back and try to remember when you were that age to kind of put you into their shoes. And, and that's what I try to do. It's like, I remember. I remember the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, the awkward, um, and uh, just try to relate to them. Well, as we celebrated Christmas, it's this amazing joy that God has come for us. Emmanuel, God with us. And then we kind of fast forward. The Bible in a lot of ways fast forwards from, from the nativity scene to the ministry. Uh, immediately to Jesus' coming out party, uh, Jesus' public ministry starts at baptism. And so there's very little. Scripture says very little about his years uh, between birth and uh, becoming a, an adult and, and being sent out uh, by the Father to go and proclaim the good news that he has. We got that story when he was 12. You know that story in the temple where he stayed behind and uh, taught those who were teachers in such a fashion that they were all like, whoa, that's amazing. But there's one passage I love. There's one little verse in the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke 2.40. We all should know Luke 2.40 because it says this about Jesus. It says he grew. It says that Jesus, God, God, this is God in flesh. He grew. Uh, he grew physically. He, he grew mentally. He grew spiritually. He grew uh, he grew in wisdom, it says, and, and the father was really, really pleased with him. And so we got to love the fact that even Jesus was a teenager. What do you think he was like? I mean, what do you think he would be like as a teenager? I, I don't know. It'd be tough probably living in the same house with him because he's the perfect one, right? Uh, we say that often about our siblings, but he really was. 
But what was he like? I mean, did he have awkward years? What was it like when his voice cracked? Uh, uh, what was his complexion like? I mean, again, we have to realize that Jesus, because of the depth of God's love for us, would become one of us and even go through of those years. Why? To relate to us. Isn't that awesome? I mean, listen, let me, before we begin, let's just stop and lean into that thought that, that God, God loves you so much he wants to relate to you. And he wants to relate to you and to your hurts and your brokenness and your humanness so much that he'd become human. And whatever, whatever stage you find yourself in, uh, well, I guess up to 33 years, we can say that Jesus can relate because he's been there. And that's awesome when we see uh, about Jesus. And not only can he relate to us, he helps us because he does relate to us. So, so this morning, as we look to Jesus' baptism, uh, there's so much there. There's so much. Again, a text like this, uh, to be honest with you, sometimes I just want to say, man, there, there's like a two months worth of sermons in Jesus' baptism alone. Good news for y'all, I only have three points. And we're going to be very specific on those three th- points. And there are these things I want you to listen for. It's how is Jesus, how does this text show us that Jesus is strikingly similar to us? How is Jesus strikingly similar? Uh, and that's going to bring us some comfort and joy. It really will. And we'll also see in this text is how is Jesus strikingly different than us? I mean, how is he portrayed in this text as co- so much different? And how both are needed. Jesus' similarity to us and the difference to us, both are needed for us to be all that God wants us to be. So let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew records this in Matthew 3. Uh, Mark starts with his story in Mark 1. Uh, Luke also has the story in Luke 3. Um, all of them were given to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, whether Mark wrote it or, or Matthew or Luke. Um, and we can trust it. It's God's holy word. But here's the deal, my brothers and sisters. This is not a story that God has given to us that we're just to hear. This is a story because it's God's holy word that we're to enter into. This is one that's supposed to pierce our hearts and and lead us to life. Let's hear God's word. Matthew 3. I'm going to read the entire chapter. 3, 1 through 17. God's word. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And I don't know if you notice, I'm wearing a camel jacket and a leather. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, And his food, this is not me, his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when we saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and throw into the fire." John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing, winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And here's the baptism of Jesus. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing picture that your word gives to us of Jesus. And Jesus at his coming out party. Jesus at the beginning of his public ministry. And Father, I thank you that on that day, you separated him from the crowds. You separated him by the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. But Father, it was you. It was you who watched from heaven and no longer could contain your silence for the love of your son. And I thank you for that voice that echoed out into that wilderness. That's my boy. That's Jesus. That's my beloved son and in whom I am well pleased. Father, we ask that you would come and be with us by the spirit of Jesus today. That you would give us ears to hear his voice. Minds to understand uh, his word. And Father, hearts to embrace his truth, your truth. So that we could also say, that's Jesus, the beloved one. The Father's well pleased with him. And, and may each one of us be well pleased with him as well. We thank you that through his pleasure, we can find pleasure in you too. It's amazing. God, would you come so powerfully that, that you would cause us to walk out of here in obedience, to be more like your beloved son. The things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, use those things to make us more, more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline to follow along if you would like. Now, the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus is strikingly similar to us. This passage says, when you look at this passage closely and you look at the corresponding passages in Luke and in Mark, you're going to realize that, that John the Baptist had a really popular thing going on. That God had called him and he called him to prepare the way for the Messiah. And that God's spirit was working. And it says that all of the regions were coming out to him, that, that, that he was drawing a crowd. Uh, and the multitudes, we see religious people, irreligious people, they're all coming out to John. And guess who comes with them? Jesus. And so, so I love the fact that Jesus is just one of the crowd. I mean, he just is uh, strikingly one who comes out to John, one who associates himself uh, with his people. As a matter of fact, Luke makes it sound like Jesus was last in line. 
that he was letting other people be baptized. And then finally, it's, it's Jesus who, who was baptized by John. And, and that we have this incredible heaven open up and the spirit of God descending upon him. And this voice from heaven saying, that is my son. Well, what do we see with this? Is this, this passage is kind of interesting. By the way, John the baptism, John the Baptist baptism is different than our baptism. Uh, it's not done in the triune name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was doing something, preparing the way for Jesus. It was a baptism into forgiveness of sins. He's calling out. His sermon was really easy. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from your wicked ways and turn to God. And show a sign and a seal that you're going to turn from him and be baptized with water. And so that's what he was doing. And, and so his, his baptism, it's interesting, was, was one of repentance. It was one of confession of sin. Certainly we have that in part of our baptism as well. But Jesus comes and here is the spotless Lamb of God. I mean, here is God's word said very clearly. Here's the one who's never sinned. So why does he come? I mean, John's confused too. I mean, John's saying, well, whoa, 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 Jesus, uh, hey, we should be flipping around here. Uh, I'm the sinful one. You're the sinless one. I'm the one who needs to confess. You don't need to confess anything. And Jesus says, listen, I'm putting myself all under God's law. And just for righteousness sake, I'm going to be associated with my people. You see, where Jesus says I'm amazingly similar is I'm getting in line with my brothers. I'm going to get in line with those around me. I'm going to be with my people just like them. It's amazing. He didn't butt to the front. He didn't ask for any special treatment. And you have this beautiful similarity that he is uh, strikingly similar to us. When you look at scripture, the writer of Hebrews wants to make this point really clear. So I want to read to you Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. And this is, this is talking about Jesus and, and how he is like us. And hear, hear God's word that Jesus is strikingly similar to us. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Scripture says this, Therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Love that. God, the eternal one, had to be like us in every respect. So that... He might become, those are, those, are, those are words of scripture that I just can't get over. You know, God might become something. I mean, the eternal one might become, that Jesus might become something he wasn't. Wow. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people or to pay for them and to cover them. For because he himself has suffered and when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It says basically this, is that this Jesus, that God in this uh, incredible baptism is declaring, that's my boy, that's my son. He is like us in every way. Why? So that he can faithfully be merciful to us. That he knows our awkward years. He, he, he knows our, our flesh. He knows our temptation. Jesus has been made like us in every way so he can be merciful and faithful in dealing with his people. What an amazing Savior that we have. Jesus can truly say, I've been there. I've done that, except for the sin part. I've been there. 
I don't know where you're facing right now. And I'm sure your situation is not exactly like Jesus's was. Time and technology will bridge, a, make a huge gap. But I do want you to know this about Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. And wherever you find yourself and whatever you're going through, Jesus wants to come to us and say, we're strikingly similar. And just like dealing with those teenagers, it helps so much to remember when I was in their shoes, Jesus came and walked among us so that he can remember what it was like to carry the burdens, the burdens of this life, the burdens of friends who don't understand you, family who think you're crazy, the burdens of uh, the father's carpenter shop or whatever it may be. It's incredible. Hebrews goes on to say, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest, one who intercedes for us, who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. I love the fact it says that Jesus can sympathize with us because he became one of us to relate to us. He can sympathize with our weakness. And I, I can't help but go to the cross and say, not only did he uh, be tempted like us without sin to sympathize with us, but the reality is, is on that cross, he bore our sin. He became our sin. He absorbed the wrath of the Father. There's no one who has ever lived or will ever live who can sympathize with us more than Jesus. He's strikingly similar to us. Not just that, but the second thing is this, is Jesus is strikingly different than us. Uh, John the Baptist says, although I went before him, he's, he's mightier than I am. Uh, John the Baptist himself will say, I'm, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. I mean, this is, this is Jesus. And we see that he's strikingly different, especially from all those who were baptized, the way the Holy Spirit descended upon him. I mean, it's such a pretty amazing picture of scripture. It's like heaven is ripped open. Heaven is ripped open, and here you see that the Holy Spirit descending like a dove uh, upon Jesus. Why? What was significant about this? And there's so much biblically that's going on right here. If you know more of the story of Jesus, uh, the story of the Bible, I should say, you know that this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 61.1. What is happening here is, is as Jesus begins his public ministry, Isaiah 61.1 is being fulfilled. Here's what it says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And oh, was it? Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. This is an incredible picture where the Holy Spirit comes and we see that Jesus really is the one who is anointed, the one filled with the spirit to proclaim good news. That God is with us and God is for us. Good news that, that everything that separates us from holy God, he has bridged. Good news that in him we truly can be free and alive. This is the fulfillment not only of Isaiah 61.1. It's the fulfillment of Isaiah 42.1. Listen to what this passage says. And remember, this was 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah 42.1 says this, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. And I love that because I could hear the words of the Father. That's my son in whom I am well pleased. In whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And here you have Jesus about ready to bring forth justice. 
not just to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but to the ends of the earth, to all of the nations. Justice on heaven and earth. Jesus is strikingly different than us. I mean, no other had the Holy Spirit come upon him like that. No other fulfills scripture like that. Jesus was strikingly different. Nowhere else or no one else do we have the Father cry out and say uniquely about his pleasure with Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And John says that he's so different that although John baptizes with water for repentance, that this Jesus, he's, he's going to baptize his own people with the Holy Spirit. And this is what it means, that, that Jesus is going to give us this gift of the, the third person of the Trinity to come and to, to remove our hearts of stone and to give us a heart of flesh. That, that Jesus is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit, the one who will come and give us faith by God's grace to believe and give us newness of life. Jesus is going to come. Uh, and send uh, the Holy Spirit to us to give us that this life. But Jesus is uniquely different. And there's this really strange passage. It probably doesn't mean a lot to us because it's, it's not a sacrifice that we're used to. But I want to look again at verse 12. This is what John says about Jesus. He says in the verse 11, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. In verse 12, it says this, his winnowing fork is in his hand, And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Here's a, here's a picture of the threshing floor uh, where a sacrifice was made. And here's a, a picture of, of both the wheat being pulled in and the chaff being driven out or, or actually in an un, unquenchable fire. It's basically saying this about Jesus. He is so strikingly different. That, listen, that he is the fulcrum. He is the fulcrum that separates life and death. That he really is the way, the truth, and the life. That that he is the fulcrum. He is the hope. I mean, with him you have life. Without him you don't. I, I think of John 3, 36. Listen to these words. Whoever believes in the Son, Jesus, the S-O-N, has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son does not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. And it's incredible. It's basically saying this, that that this uniquely different one, this God's unique son has come for those of us who believe in him, who follow him, may have life, may have forgiveness. But it says, for those who don't, they don't have life. Did you hear how radical this is? It's basically saying, without Jesus in your life, the wrath of God, who's holy, uh, that's justified wrath for sinners like us, remains upon us. We're like chaff that will burn. But by the grace of God, if we have him, we have life. This unique Jesus who's strikingly different than us. Fully God, fully man. So in this one passage, we see both Jesus, who's so much like us, and Jesus, who's so much not like us. But thirdly, we are both ordinary and extraordinary in Christ Jesus. And it's it's both his commonness and his extraordinariness that he shares with us. First of all, it's the ordinary. I want to go back to John the Baptist. John the Baptist. (laughs) Jesus Jesus says of him, there's been no greater man born of woman than John. I mean, he was an amazing man. 
but even those in the kingdom of God are all more greater than John. But here's, here's, here's John. The gospel of John, it's not John the Baptist, it's the, the disciple John, the one whom Jesus loved, who wrote the gospel of John. Uh, he tells us in chapter 1, in the first chapter of John, uh, I think it's 18, that John the Baptist sees Jesus and he exclaims these words. He, he calls out, he shouts these words. He's in a crowd, he sees Jesus, and he says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you have John uh, the Baptist who, from the very beginning, uh, has this incredible relationship with Jesus uh, um, through his mother Elizabeth, but I, I need to keep going. Um, but who immediately is able to see the uniqueness of Jesus and say, this is the Lamb of God. This is a spotless one. He has come to save his people. He's come to take away our sins. John would go on to say, as we just read, I mean, I'm not worthy to carry Jesus's sandals. Uh, John would be the one who says that, that in Jesus, he's the fulcrum to God's blessing or, or God's wrath. I mean, he's right at that turning point. And John's the one. And yet, John, because he spoke the truth to a king, and said, you know what, you shouldn't be living with that woman. She's your brother's wife and you're really living in sin. He found himself in prison. And because of that king's passion, he's about ready to lose his head. And now listen, this is really important. John is sitting in prison. And this is recorded to us in Matthew 11, verse 3. He's sitting in prison. And he had to be thinking, I can't believe it turned out this way. I mean, I've been declaring that Jesus is the Lord. I, I, I've been saying this is, this is the one. And here he sits in prison, about to lose his life. Ordinary. I mean, an amazing child of God. Listen, this is, this is, this is John the Baptist. I mean, this is one that Jesus said, there's no greater man born of a woman. This is John the Baptist, and he's... He's in prison saying, could you please go and ask Jesus, are you the one or should we be expecting another? Because why? I can't get over the fact that my life is right here. I can't get over the fact that I've embraced Christ as my Lord and Savior, that he is the one that I've longed for and I'm about ready, he doesn't know, to be beheaded. John said, I must have pictured life going so differently. And yet it was so ordinary. Was there really a difference? At the conference that first night, there was a little 11-year-old girl named Bethany. And Bethany wore a, uh, a shirt with a, a star on it that was kind of a bright, sequency star. Um, cute little girl. And I, I knew Bethany's story. And I knew that Bethany 11 was going to be told that night that she can't stay for the rest of the conference because she has to go back to the hospital. And the cancer treatments that she's been going through have to continue because the radical, the radical chemo is not working. And the prognosis is not good. And the family's gotten to the point where they said, don't even tell us, don't even tell us how long. Uh, don't even tell us what the odds are. We're just going to do everything we can to fight. 
And I got done speaking and I knew that she was there and I had to go back and I had to see her. And I, I made my way to her and I said, Bethany, I just want you to know I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your sisters. I'm praying for your, your parents. And she was just going to find out, by the way, the conference is over for you. No more of this and more hospitals. And she was going to have surgery. She had surgery on the, on the 31st. She's got melanoma filling her body and they can't stop it. And I went back to my where I stayed and I just bawled. I just bawled. I mean, I just, tears flowing down my cheeks and I'm saying, God, you can fix this. I know you can. I mean, come on. You rose from the dead. She's 11. Give it to me. She's 11. God, fix it. I don't know if he will. God's, God's people are... We're ordinary in some ways. I mean, cancer hits us, doesn't it? And financial burdens and strains in relationships. And I mean, the world passes through us too, doesn't it? There's something so ordinary about us Christians. Don't forget it. Jesus says, in this world, you're going to suffer. But I've overcome it. Jesus says, in this world, they hated me. They're going to hate you. Jesus does promise that he is going to make all things new. And he does promise that there's a day coming. Listen, there's a day coming. Will there be no more battles for Bethany or any other 11-year-old? There is a day coming with every, every tear will be wiped away. And, and every cancer will be dealt with. And there is a day coming. And he promises us that. And we can trust him because he came once. And he's coming back. But the truth is, is there's something amazingly ordinary about us. But there's also something amazingly extraordinary. And that is the father's unbridled pleasure that he gave to his son. He graciously gives to us through his grace and faith in Christ Jesus as our savior. That we, that we even now in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our trials, we can hear the father say to sinners like us, that is my son, that is my daughter, and them I am well pleased. I love them. I'm for them. I'm with them. I'll never let them go. I love the reality that Jesus, his work and his righteousness will define us, not our sin. It's going to be Jesus's pleasure that's going to win the day, not your works or righteousness. That today, right now, at this very, very moment, we could know, we can know the pleasure of the Holy Father through the work of the Son. It'd be extraordinary. I mean, He tells us that we're chosen. He tells us that we're royal. He tells us that we're holy. He tells us that we're His own. It's extraordinary. Of all the things that He's created, we're His apple of his eye. First John five twelve says this, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I know Bethany has the son. I know that she's got life that can't be touched by cancer. I don't know what this world and this age is going to do. I know he can heal her. But I know that she's extraordinary in him. In ordinary too. How is it with you? 
Do you see Jesus as one who is similar to you, that relates to you? Do you see one in Jesus that is different than you, that can rescue you? And do you see that in him you're both ordinary and extraordinary? We come to this table to remind us tangibly of that, to remind us that that Jesus wants to be with us and he's similar to us and we can touch it with the broken bread and the poured out wine. But he wants us to remind us that through that sacrifice, we're his and we're extraordinary. Let us pray. (coughs) Father, would your spirit come? And would your spirit come and feed us again? Remind us that we live in such a broken world. And in many ways, as your people, we're just ordinary. But in Christ Jesus, we truly are also extraordinary. We're yours. We're your beloved. Nothing's going to touch us that doesn't pass through your love. Nothing's going to separate us from you, even cancer. And that one day we're going to make our way home, not because we're strong, but because Jesus is beautiful and he's precious and he's mighty and he's worthy. And we thank you, Jesus, that your promises are trustworthy and that we know the day is coming when there will be no more sadness and sickness and sorrow and divorce and poverty and brokenness and injustice. But until that day, your people are going to be treated amazingly ordinarily by a world that treated Jesus that way. But may the spirit of the living God fill us so that we could live extraordinary lives in the midst of all the pain. For your glory we pray. Amen.